The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Friday, February 11th, 2022. Pitchers and catchers were scheduled to report next week for spring training, but the Major League Baseball lockout continues. On Thursday, February 10th, to conclude three days of MLB owners' meetings in Orlando, Florida, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred spoke to the press, the first time since he announced the lockout back in early December. He announced that the owners will be presenting to the Major League Baseball Players Association on Saturday, February 12th, a counteroffer. Here's what Manfred said on what would be included in the updated proposal. We've proposed an agreement that is better in every respect than the expired contract. For the first time in history, and despite substantial opposition by some clubs, we've agreed to institute a draft lottery to address the players' concern about clubs not competing. We've agreed to a universal designated hitter and the elimination of draft choice compensation These changes will improve the free agent market by creating additional jobs that are often filled by veteran players and by reducing, actually eliminating, the drag from compensation. Not touched on is what the owners are proposing with league minimums or pre-arbitration bonuses. Two items we know that has been important to the Players Association during these talks. With just a handful of days before players were supposed to report to spring training, Manfred continued to be optimistic that spring training will have no delays. The status of spring training is no change right now. Um, We're going to have a conversation um, with the MLBPA about the calendar. You know, we understand where the calendar is. But um, until we have that conversation and until we see how this um, session on Saturday goes, it's no change. During the Q&A with reporters, Manfred was asked if owning a Major League Baseball team is still a good investment. 
This is an important question to gauge just how, quote unquote, painful the financial losses have been for owners, or if any of them are possibly thinking of selling after missing significant revenues from the shortened 2020 season. This is what Manfred had to say. You know, it's interesting. We actually uh, hired an investment banker, a really good one, actually, um, to look at that very issue. If you look at the purchase price of franchises, the cash that's put in during the period of ownership and then what they've sold for, historically, the return on those investments is below what you'd get in the stock market, what you'd expect to get in the stock market with a lot more risk. Yeah, I'm still sure owners are still yielding higher results than my stock portfolio. After Manfred spoke, there seems to be a cautious optimism from some circles that the owner's counterproposal is good enough to convince the Players Association in signing a new CBA and the threat of a season delay goes to the wayside. But what if the counterproposal falls flat and the players don't think it's good enough? What's the date where fans should start to sweat that opening day will be delayed? Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Rob Manfred spoke. What were your initial takeaways from what he presented to the media today at the owners' meeting? Well, I, I wrote a little bit about it, my initial thoughts on Sox Machine. And, you know, there are the quotes about, you know, whether it's more profitable to invest that kind of money that... MLB owners are putting into their teams in the stock market and the, you know, he got the competitive balance tax penalties wrong. But I think the big takeaway for me is the quote saying that missing games are a disastrous outcome for this industry. Him saying that makes me think that they're willing to move uh, sooner rather than later, just because that would seem to set up a pretty big um, you know, if he were intent on playing hardball or if the owners were intent on like, you know, giving up nothing that they've gotten from the last two CBA negotiations, it would seem like that would be just inviting him to eat that quote over and over and over again. If this dragged into mm -hmm. March and into April, uh, he's saying like, well, I guess this is a disastrous, you know, like, I guess Rob Manfred's a disaster. I guess that's like what he's mm -hmm. inviting people to say, even though they might be saying that already, but just. I, I think to me, that is the biggest signal that there's going to be some movement on the owner's part. I think they tried to, at least my read is that they tried to play hardball. They tried to play the waiting game by not responding for 43 days to the initial proposal. That to me struck me as like a little bit of a playing hard to get, not texting. Like the quote about like how, you know, when, when he was asked about uh, the proposal taking 43 days to show up. You know, he said phones work two ways as if the, you know, union's supposed to keep calling them and say like, well, how about this? Well, how about this? You know, like, so, you know, that was pretty, you know, flimsy, but I think, you know, what are you saying right now? I, I think rhetorically is trying not to give up any ground and trying not to signal any kind of willingness to move or failure, but just the, the quote saying it's a disastrous outcome and that, you know, He's intent. It makes me to me. It sounds like the the league is intent on not missing games, and so as long as the union is not completely hell bent on getting everything they want, and and based on what they've done so far, they're not. Yeah, you know, I don't think they're shooting for the moon. Uh, it would seem to me that 
you know, an opening day of March 31st is still pretty much intact. The Players Association, while the owners were meeting in Orlando the past three days, they held their own mini convention. They had two of them. They had one in Arizona and one in Tampa, Florida uh, during these three days to converse, to meet, to make sure they're on the same page before what appears to be a really crucial negotiating period that's coming up on tomorrow on February 12th on Saturday, Jim. And with this negotiation and with the owners now making a, a counter offer to the players association is Saturday crucial in order for spring training to start on time. And I asked this question with the direction of if they do not walk away on Saturday, any closer to a deal, is it inevitable that spring training is going to be delayed? Well, uh, are you counting pitchers and catchers reporting as spring training being delayed? Yes. Uh, I could see it being like, I think they would have to really thread the needle in order to have pitchers and catchers report on the 14th, like, like, uh, as planned. Like it, to me, it doesn't seem like I would say to me, the full report dates, uh, are maybe more important this time around just because with pitchers and catchers, everybody shows up early pretty much anyway. And, and you know, that's, it's mostly pitchers and catchers, but everybody is there. And it is until like the first full workout that things start getting in order. And, and that's, you know, everybody's more or less facing each other, live pitching, ramping up, et cetera, to where, you know, the games can be played. So I would say pitchers and catchers might be delayed, but you know, even if like things go well, just because they'll think it'll take a few days for everybody to get on the same page and for things to be ratified and so forth before players are allowed to show up and the lockout ends. So I, I think it's going to take more than a weekend in order to, you know, get everybody into Arizona or Florida, but I can see the full report date, which is usually like a week later. I, I can see that being intact if things go well. To me, I'm thinking like the first of March for report date and shaving some games off the, the spring training schedule is the most likely outcome just because I can see some issues being sticky enough to where they will want to try to either, you know, the, on, on the union side, extract some gains while you can, you know, the idea being that your biggest raise comes when you're negotiating your contract, your salary, et cetera, you know, not trying to get a raise midstream. And I can see on the, uh, on, on the owner's part saying, well, if we made movement on so many other places, there have to be some areas we stand firm and we'll see, you know, how that goes. But I can see it taking more than a weekend to resolve. I think the important thing is just, you know, whatever happens on Saturday, having counter proposals coming uh, within days rather than weeks. Hannah Kieser of Yahoo Sports tweeted out, it makes so much sense that Rob Manfred would avoid declaring the obvious about spring training being delayed with a bargaining session scheduled for Saturday. He can project optimism now and hope he will blame the player's reaction to Major League Baseball's forthcoming proposal for forcing a delay. Is Hannah right, Jim, that if the conversations on Saturday are not fruitful, between the league and the players association the blame is going to be on the players association and why spring training is going to be delayed. I would say it's weird. The discourse, like I'm trying to figure out, I can't put an accurate percentage on who's siding with the owners, who's siding with the players and who really doesn't care. Um, I think the 
sentiment is more pro player than it was like say in 1994 and other negotiations just because social media and also the fact that the players are locked out and i think you know having the lockout uh, which the league initiated and then not following up with an offer for 43 days you know the league, the league wasn't doing all it could you know there was no sign that they were doing all they could so i think mm-hmm. there is a deficit uh, for the league to be taken seriously in order for sentiment to shift quickly, especially since like the first week, two weeks of spring training are more or less like the novelty wears off pretty quickly. I think for spring training, it's like pitchers and catchers report. Love seeing those pitchers throwing, love seeing the batting cage video. And then like, you know, a week later, it's just like, can't wait for games to start. Then the game started like, all right, real game action. Uh, nice to see, uh, you know, Lance Lynn throwing again. Nice to see Yohan Makata, you know, pulling the ball in the air. And then like halfway through, like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't care about spring training numbers. Just let me know when opening day happens. So I don't think spring training, like, is that important to get right on the original schedule? I think there's a lot of fat there because, you know, the whether, you know, there, there's room for players to, get hurt and get better. There's room for players to show up late because of visa issues and so forth. So I think, uh, you know, the integrity of the official spring training schedule is not important enough for, I think, to generate backlash in any one way or another. I think just as long as proposals keep flying in either direction, I think fans will be more or less happy. And, uh, you know, if there can be rumors attached, like I think people are going to be really excited, you know, should there be like, incremental movement but you, know, you can keep checking mlb trade rumors and say like where's freddie freeman going where's carlos correa going you know I, I think you know i think fans have a unique build-up here mm-hmm. for just like you know like an nba style free agency for the remainder of the free agent class where once the uh you know once the ink dries or even before the ink dries on the cba uh names are going to start flying dollar figures are going to be flying you're going to hear players going one way and then another i, I think it's going to be fast and furious and fun so whatever backlash there is or whatever whatever side fans are taking if it's a little bit messy for the next couple of weeks i think all can be forgiven if the week that follows afterwards is is just crazy i was watching the mlb network after the press conference for rob manfred and at the desk to break down what rob manfred spoke about was harold reynolds tom verducci and dan o'dowd so <laughs> I just, after what happened to ken rosenthal i just picture that everybody like smiling nervously and glancing off to the side you're looking for like yeses or nos <laughs> like <laughs> that's what it kind of felt at times watching it it was uh it was pretty interesting on the propaganda machine of mlb network uh and, and how you know they're breaking it down obviously they cannot be super critical or they won't have a job but what was interesting is listening to Dan O'Dowd. So for those that don't remember, O'Dowd was the Colorado Rockies general manager, uh, probably in the best years of the franchise. Uh, they made the World Series. They got swept by the Boston Red Sox when he was GM. And from his perspective, it was pretty interesting because the players we have heard say that they only need about 21 days to get ready for opening day. And that is where he disagreed with the Players Association because of the amount of injuries that we have seen, especially in 2020, because of the short period to ramp up and get ready to play any amount of games. Mm -hmm. He thinks they need 28 days of games 
So four weeks of games, and they need like 10 to 12 days to warm up for those games. Uh, so if they don't get a deal done soon, he is one to think, yeah, opening day is definitely going to be delayed if Major League Baseball doesn't want to have all of these injuries impacting on how the 2022 season goes. Do you agree with the players that they only need three weeks of prep work to get ready for opening day? I would probably lean more towards O'Dowd than the players. And just in the idea that, you know, 28 days gives players a little bit of time to get sore and get better, you know, have to try to push through Mm -hmm. it, not try to build up innings workloads. They can take like, you know, I'm thinking Yasmani Grandal with his knee or just somebody with a calf muscle, somebody with like a minor strain, just like there's no rush to get back in the lineup right away. So I think, you know, it's not necessarily they need 28 days. It's just that gives them a cushion to where nobody feels like they have to push themselves through something to get ready, especially like maybe on the pitcher side. I think where I would maybe quibble with, you know, just how much time is necessary or just knowing is that no matter what, whether it's 28 days or 21 days, I can see there being a lot of injuries just because of weird off season regimens. And maybe like, you know, especially like, you know, players like we heard about Nick Madrigal, who's goes to a new team and then cannot talk to that new team's training staff about what he's doing. You know, I'm sure there's some back channel stuff or like, you know, training managers talking to team trainers, like just, you know, just, you know, if they're at a facility or a gym, like they find some way to have a relay system to talk to teams, but just when it comes to like checking in, you know, working with personnel, like at the hitters mini camp, so forth, like getting, you know, physical checkups during the season to think, see how things are progressing. Like that would seem to me to be like a, you know, a variable that can't be accounted for, whether it's 28 days or 21 days. And that's, you know, on the league. So it would seem like uh, to me, no matter what happens, I would have a hard time saying it's one way or another, just because I think part of the issue with the, you know, the, the pandemic season, the 60 day season was not just the shortened spring, but just a lot of people working out on their own and, and maybe left to their own devices working out poorly or, uh, you know, being out of balance or, mm-hmm. or what have you. And when it comes to like, you know, superior and, uh, you know, muscles and the, and the, and the muscle balance you know, with the, from groups that might be overlooked. Like to me, that strikes me as like, you know, the, the dangers of working on alone. And, and when you have a lockout that's enforced by the league and, you know, players are not allowed to talk to even like training staff. Um, that's, that's an area where I can see maybe just like not, uh, you know, not having a clue in terms of just what to expect and how to work out. And if, it, you know, should they, you have to work with 21 days rather than 28. I think I would keep that in mind. Just should injuries happen late in spring training or the first weeks of the season, like I couldn't rule that out and just say, well, it could be a shortened spring or it could be the fact that they had all winter to left their own devices. And that could be just you know, a, a bad combination. And for the White Sox, they have a new athletic training staff mm-hmm. that they are carrying into the 2022 season. So I don't know if they had any time pre lockout to work with the White Sox roster or if they're going to finally meet and work out together for the first time post lockout and everyone shows up to Glendale, Arizona, and you only have like 21 days to, to really figure out at least the 26 man roster and how these guys work. Like 
you'll have to double up. You can't meet with one player a day and figure out and spend all day and how their body works. You just, you don't have enough time. Yeah. I think uh, Goldie Simmons is the new trainer uh, or director of conditioning. And he was at Charlotte or he's been in the, in the minor leagues for the uh, last number of seasons. So I think the hope would be that he knows, you know, he's well clued into what's being done at the major league level. He's worked with some guys coming on the way up. And, and might have some knowledge there and, and the players have knowledge of him and maybe a way to communicate with him. <laughs> maybe not officially, but through uh shadowy back channels or something like that. But uh, one way or another, I'd hope that there's at least some familiarity to not have to be going in cold. Uh, you know, the way that we might've feared, you know, <laughs> should uh, the lockout, um, you know, drag into April. And all of a sudden you're talking about like, 21 days just to, you know, between like showing up and major league game starting. Right. Right. Uh, if the two sides do not agree to a deal on Saturday, mm-hmm. what date do you think is the threshold that opening day is being seriously threatened of being delayed? I would say around March 1st, just because if you need a few days to ratify stuff, to make sure that everything's official, signed, sealed, delivered, and then you have everybody show up because who knows, like the one thing I'm wondering about is like without a CBA and with players, you know, in limbo, what's it like for like work visas, you know, for players who are, you know, out of the country, do they have to wait until there's a CBA until like they're officially, you know, not locked out and working again to where they can show up um, and, and be uh, in camp on time or close to it. So I could see that being a complication too. I haven't seen written about, but I think if you can get to like March 1st, uh, that's 31 days, and that basically cuts it down to like say, yeah, if you give it a week for ratification and then players reporting, that gives you you know three to four weeks to you know warm up, get some games in, and squeeze in an opening day of March 31st. Still, I think anything like past the first couple of days of March, I think is pushing it. I agree with the March 1st, and and this is timely because the Chicago White Sox are promoting and trying to get White Sox fans to buy tickets because single game tickets are now available for purchase on whitesox.com. And there are many White Sox fans who jumped at that opportunity. They bought tickets for opening day or opening weekend. They bought flights to visit Chicago to see the White Sox against the Minnesota Twins that first weekend of the season. The good news, Jim, and you know this growing up in the area, is that mm-hmm. if there's no baseball, there's still plenty to do in Chicago. You're not going to St. Petersburg, Florida. You're not going to Cleveland, where there may not be a lot to capture your attention for a weekend. But if there's no baseball, at least there's good backup plans in Chicago. <laughs> I thought they going to say, like, uh, you know, if there's no games, at least the weather's terrible, so you don't have to sit in <laughs> you know 40-degree weather. To sit in a know. bar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I posted this. Uh, I, I've been posting this Twitter poll, which you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. These temperature checks. And, and I'll probably post one again after the negotiations on Saturday just to gauge on where people are thinking when opening day will be. 23.7% of those that took the poll say opening day is going to be on time. believe it's going to be on April 14th, so a two-week delay. The majority, 45.4%, believe opening day is going to be after April 30th. So 
We will not see. We'll have an entire month of baseball wiped out, according to 45% of the people that took the poll. Uh, for those that follow us on Twitter, Jim, are they being a bit pessimistic on how things are going? Could, could you see the first month of the season being wiped out? because of these negotiations between the league and the players association. When was that poll? Uh, when, when did Today. you start the poll? So that was after Manfred talked. Yeah. After Manfred's press conference. Okay. That strikes me as pretty pessimistic then. Like I would lean towards on time just because I'm wondering with spring training uh, game, you know, cause Manfred said that's, yeah, you know, they're not going to use minor league players for spring training games. Like they're not going to be televising mm-hmm. games. And cause that was my th- thinking was that, you know, replacement players were not allowed. You can't replace, you can't, especially can't replace players and they're being locked out. You can't, uh, uh, they couldn't do it in players on strike. They can't definitely can't do it. And they're locked out. So they couldn't, there's no like way around that to make money from minor leaguers playing games. So the owners are the first to lose revenue. You don't know how many, you know, teams are reliant on spring training games for programming to where like all of a sudden, you know, if they have a major hole in their March programming for their RSN, especially if like their RSN Mm. is a Bally one or like one of those ones that's really underwater, has no supplemental programming. Like the, you know, NBC sports Chicago has other teams to air, uh, you know, whereas, you know, like marquee or, you know, um, just, you know, any one team town, you like, uh, might not be able to really, fill those hours and, and and they need those games. So, you know, to me, I think Manfred coming out with the timing uh, of speaking today when most of the spring schedule, if not all the spring schedule is largely intact, is basically a way of saying like, well, we want to try to squeeze the players. Now we're worried about squeezing the owners. <laughs> Maybe some owners are more uh, vulnerable than others. And so, you know, we can still afford to go into March, lose a week of games here and there, but we can't lose an entire spring and go into April with enthusiasm dampened uh, because some some situations might be more tenuous, whereas players don't get paid during spring training. Mm-hmm. So that's just, you know, that's nothing different for them. They just have to make sure they're, you know, conditioned and, and trying to get in the game shape, but they don't lose any kind of income. So I think, you know, the owners lose first. The players lose more when the game starts because owners are independently wealthy and such. But I think, you know, when you look at some of the, RSN situations around the league, some of the debt structures uh, that some owners are dealing with, like uh, to me, it would strike me as like, oh, maybe the owners just really can't, they have a lot of ground they can give up and have a CBA that's still wildly profitable for them. And, uh, you know, they, with the, you know, with, with some situations being really sketchy when it comes to bubbles and also the players being more resolved than maybe they had been in previous negotiation cycles that, uh, uh, maybe their clock is ticking louder than the players right now. That I agree with. If my response to this poll would be April 14th, I am very pessimistic that opening day happens on March 31st. And I, I would go with March 31st. And you are being optimistic. Yeah. Like, you know, I think we talked about it before, just saying like, you know, my theory is that I'm I'm operating a little bit on blind faith. Uh, on the idea that, you know, the, it's not going to be a gradual warming to where like, you know, the players are in, and uh, the union and the league are going to be complimenting each other for weeks (laughs) to, uh, you know, kind of uh, gradually approach resolution. I think it's going to be sudden. Uh, It's going to, things are going to click into place over the course of a few days. The updates are going to come fast. And then like, 
fast enough to where like, you know, the owners can claim victory and the players can claim victory and, and, you know, just say like, we got what we wanted. Uh, and, and the, the owners can say, we gave up what we're willing to give up. The, what's more important is getting the season and, and serving the fans. You know, everybody can kind of pivot quickly to fan service and patting themselves on the back for a job well done. And they're not going to dwell too much on what was lost, what wasn't gained, et cetera. So, you know, my thinking is that it's going to happen faster and and i'm interpreting this press conference and what manfred says uh you know some of these as inelegantly as he said them as a thawing to um to something that's going to happen pretty quickly and all of a sudden it's gonna be a party when it comes to free agency i disagree with you and i'm going to explain why okay after we take a quick break but when we come back Ooh, we'll discuss what we think the big sticking points are and the upcoming talks for Saturday between the league and the players association next on the Sox machine podcast. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. So we discussed in length about baseball's timing, which is key as spring training games are set to start at the end of February. Jim is optimistic that opening day is going to start on time. And I disagree with Jim. I think opening day is going to be delayed by a couple of weeks and it will start on April 14th. Let's break down what we think needs to be in the proposal from the owners when they talk with the Players Association on Saturday to get buy-in from the Players Association and net a new deal. And Jim, here's the reason why I disagree with you about the thawing 
between the league and the players association. I think the biggest sticking point, the competitive balance tax. Now the owners, I could see bumping up the league minimum salary, not to the level that the players association is asking for at 750,000. I wouldn't be shocked if they lowball the players association again and say, we increased our league minimums offer to another 10,000 and now it's at 625,000. And instead of a $10 million bonus pool, it is now a $25 million bonus pool. Like I, I could see those increments, but the tax I think is a pretty significant issue, especially if the players association is very determined to curb the tanking that's been going on and increase competitiveness in the league. Now, there's been some excellent reporting from The Athletic from Evan Drellich, understanding on previous proposals what the league was proposing for the competitive balance tax and what the Players Association is proposing for the competitive balance tax. They are very different. The league is only looking to increase the competitive balance tax threshold to $214 million in 2022. This is why it's important. The New York Mets are already way past the tax threshold. They already have a player payroll of $235 million. The Dodgers are right at $214 million. And the Yankees are at $211 million. So, Jim, as you mentioned, after the lockout, the Yankees are going to go hard after Atlanta Braves first baseman Freddie Freeman, who is a free agent, to play first base for them. And if they go past 214 million, which they would if they were able to sign Freddie Freeman, uh, they are going to be having to take on this new competitive balance tax proposal from the league. And the tax rates, and this is why it's very interesting that a league spokesperson had to quickly reach out to the national reporters, especially Jeff Passett of ESPN, to say that Rob Manfred misspoke Uh, that it's not the status quo for the tax penalties for the competitive balance tax. Uh, The way that it breaks down for Major League Baseball, there's going to be three tiers. So the first tier is $214 million, and it it would increase in 2025, and it would increase in 2026, but not by a lot. The second tier is right where the Mets are at, at $234 million. And the third tier of the competitive balance tax would be at $254 million. And looking into the penalties for Major League Baseball for exceeding it, the first tier, if you exceed the first tier, it is going to be a 50% tax on every dollar that you spend over the first tier. The second tier is an additional 25%. And if you go... If you blow by $254 million in your player payroll, you are going to add another 50%. So if you have a $255 million payroll in 2022, you have to pay a 125% tax on every dollar past the $214 million threshold as you are in the third tier. Now, if you get that far, If you blow by the first tier, you have to surrender a third round draft pick in the next year's draft. So you got a tax and you lose a third round pick. If you go by the second tier, which the Mets already are at this tier, 
you have to give up a second round pick and pay the tax money. And if you go by the third tier, you have to give up a first round pick and pay a 125% tax on every dollar that you spent beyond the competitive balance tax. Mm -hmm. This is a salary cap. (laughs) There is no way, there's no way any team would even dare to go that far into the third tier based on Major League Baseball's proposal and the penalties to go past that third tier. There's just no way. The Players Association proposal, the first tier, $245 million. So no team in Major League Baseball right now would be paying tax fines. The second tier is $265 million. The third tier is $295 million. And instead of these 50% tax rates, you just pay a 20% tax rate on every dollar that you go by the first tier. And there are no draft picks taken away from you if you do go past the first tier, unlike the Major League Baseball proposal. So the New York Mets, who are currently $21 million over the tax threshold, if Major League Baseball gets their way with a competitive balance tax in the new CBA, they have to pay a $15.75 million tax bill, and they are going to lose a second round pick in the 2023 Major League Baseball draft. Under the Players Association proposal, they have zero penalties. Now, Jim, I am going to assume the New York Mets would be rooting for the Players Association to get their way uh, in the CBA. They've had one hell of an offseason. They got Max Scherzer. They got Starlin Marte. They are clearly in the World Series or bus bandwagon. Mm -hmm. But these types of penalties severely deter the top spending teams from spending more. I mean, they already spend a lot of money, but if major league baseball continues with what Rob Manfred says, the status quo, and they don't budge in the competitive balance tax, well, the top teams are not going to spend anymore and the bottom teams don't spend at all. Well, then you're still stuck in this limbo and stuck in this cycle from a players association perspective. And that's why I think on Saturday, we've looked at so much about the league minimum and player payout for the first three years. And that is a big, big talking point. But for me, the biggest sticking point and where the Players Association is attacking to increase competitiveness within mm-hmm. the league is right here with a competitive balance tax. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a, you know, I would say that in the bonus pool for players uh, who are you know, pre-arbitration eligible, where they have like a $100 million difference in terms of the size of that uh, bonus pool. Um, you know, that's a sticking point as well. But with this, it seems like when you look at what the league is proposing, there's room for them to give ground. Like, you know, if you know, your initial offer is supposed to be ambitious, like shoot for the moon and then come down from it, uh, it would seem like they're doing that because like it makes sense to maybe have harsher penalties or more immediate penalties for violators of the uh, competitive balance tax threshold if it were higher. Like it would seem like you can't have uh, the same amount and then just ramp up punishments for no good reason. Like it would seem like that's, you know, uh, just unreasonable to expect. So it would seem like if they want to, you know, try to be good guys, but also get something they want, then they could say, okay, we'll ramp it up to 235, but the first time offender penalty is going to be a lot more. What do you think about that? Like there's room for them to give ground while still 
curbing like maybe Steve Cohen's excesses, which I think is probably the biggest point of the uh, penalties being harsher. Uh, the draft pick situation, I think, is a little bit interesting mm-hmm. just because they are for uh, foregoing the draft pick compensation for free agent signings, uh, like teams that sign you know a a free agent who signs a qualifying offer, um, you know, no longer has to give up a free agent. So there is room to penalize, or like you know, there is a precedent somewhat, or like a a a void to where like you can say, well, we're just basically shifting this draft pick penalty you had for one thing and applying it to a team situation that only affects like the Mets, maybe the Dodgers, maybe the Yankees, like maybe like a third, you know, or sorry, one tenth of the league, like maybe five teams at most in a given year. So, you know, we'll give you the no draft pick competition, but we're going to hammer teams with draft picks if they break this threshold, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I can see that being a compelling offer just because they are limiting draft picks uh, compensation. The weird situations where like, the Brewers would have to give a Dodgers a draft pick for signing somebody they wanted to sign. Like that's, I think, what's a little bit warped about the current draft pick compensation system. And I think that would eliminate that part. But you'd still get the draft picks being used as a weapon to punish teams for going over the threshold. So I could still see that being like a a middle ground between the two offers to where the, the union gets something it wants, but the league gets something where they can really still clamp down on a team from going well over, even if it's like 230 instead of 214. Yeah, the competitive balance tax, I think, is why we have the lockout. And and when I mean why we have the lockout, why there's still a lockout in February 10th, because there there are many and you know, fans, other writers have pointed out that the league can end the lockout at any time. And that is absolutely true. However, the competitive balance tax expired after the 2021 season. There's no penalty for teams to spend as much as they want. So I think this lockout is also in part to keep all of the teams in check so you don't have a rogue owner, Jim, Mm -hmm. like Steve Cohen deciding to go ham and have a $300 million player payroll because he's the richest owner in the league and... He, he you know, doesn't even bat an eye at a $300 million payroll. He wants to win a World Series, so he's willing to go that deep into his pockets while Cleveland is sputtering around with a $30 million player payroll right now. I think that's why we currently have the lockout still, is to ensure that you don't have any rogue owners just really break open as far as the piggy bank and radically change their teams. But from a players association perspective, they would love to see that Alex Wood tweeted to be clear, Rob Manfred of major league baseball wants stricter penalties under the, uh, the CBT. All the CBT does is suppress spending and encourage tanking. Aren't fans tired of this? Don't you want to see all teams actually try to win each year? The CBT Mm -hmm. should be abolished, not enhanced. Now, Alex Wood is not one of the lead spokespeople for the Players Association. Uh, That would be Andrew Miller and Max Scherzer, along with the other five players of the subcommittee for the Players Association. So Alex Wood is just one guy sharing his opinion about the CBT. But this is interesting, though, and this is why I think the season's going to get delayed. Because if Major League Baseball goes into those talks on Saturday, Jim, mm-hmm. and say, this, we are not talking about the CBT. 
Like we are not making radical changes. Don't ask for it because we're not budging on the CBT. Then that's where I could see the players association walking away from the table. And we're still stuck in this limbo that we have been since December 1st. Yeah, I I can see that. I think, you know, I'm approaching it from the perspective that the league is asking for everything, hoping to get something. And and there's room to give one thing or another, or maybe a couple things, as as long as they can have like maybe a higher tax with quicker penalties, I think is ultimately what middle ground they'll try to strike, like 235. But if you cross 235... 50% 50% in traffic. Like just, I can see them wanting to crack down on just, yeah, they have room to give with this approach mm-hmm. by asking for everything. So I can, you know, I think the league was quick to correct Manfred because, you know, it, it makes the way he, you know, the way he said like status quo, like that's a lie. Like if, if he meant to say that, if he just like spoke off the cuff and didn't realize like, oh yeah, we changed that. <laughs> Like whether it's a live omission, live just, you know, kind of just, um, you know, not updating his knowledge base in his head for quick reference, what have you. Like that's, that's something that could antagonize the, the MLBPA just, you know, by misrepresenting something pretty egregiously. So I think that's why, you know, the leagues came in to quickly correct the record because they don't want to antagonize the union, uh, so stupidly, so brazenly <laughs> by, by just saying mm-hmm. uh, something's red when it's green. Uh, that, that's why I think that it, it, I think there's room for them to budge, but I think they've just given them a lot of, they've given themselves a lot of room to budge by asking for harsher penalties and barely any increase in the tax threshold. It, where, when I look at the league though, Jim, and you are right, there's room to budge and there's room to negotiate. So if you are looking at the class half full, Yes, Major League Baseball can increase as far as the tax threshold. If they do go up to $235 million, all teams would be below the tax threshold. Everybody would be happy as far as all 30 owners. No one's paying a tax right now until they decide to make any additional moves post-lockout. I think that makes everyone happy. However, we know right now, looking at the player payrolls for this upcoming season, it is... it. I mean, in my in my opinion, it's pretty ridiculous. You, you've got ten teams right now with a player payroll of seventy five million or below. Now, I'm expecting mm-hmm. the Seattle Mariners to continue to add more payroll. They're at seventy one million dollars. Uh, the White Sox rival the Minnesota Twins. Maybe they spend more. I'm not sure about Kansas City, but Oakland. We are expecting them to slash payroll post lockout to be making some trades. Again, Cleveland has a $30 million payroll. Baltimore has a $30 million payroll. Pittsburgh has a $35 million payroll. There are more small market teams that don't spend a lot of money than there are teams that are willing to spend money. And I just think that their voices are very loud they they're a bigger piece of the pie and I could see them not wanting to budge and not agreeing to a $235 million competitive balance tax. And if it still remains at like 215 million, if that is the proposal from the owners, Jim, then yeah, the the talks are not going to continue to move forward. And I I think, you know, it's probably important for the MLBPA, you know, if they're uh, against a salary cap, 
in all forms, in all names. And I think they probably will push for a gradual penalty structure like they have right now, because if you, you know, penalize teams 50%, you know, if, if you make the, in the current system, like the final punishment, the first punishment, that's basically a cap. Yeah. Like if you're, so I, I think it's probably important for the players to push back and, you know, based on what they've said about salary caps and say like, nope, we need a gradual structure. We need a forgiving tax just so teams can go for it if they want to and be incentivized to go for it and then eventually course correct over the course of years or when salaries come off the books, et cetera, have opportunities to knock their number down and reset a little bit to me. So I, I can see like the number going up and I can see the penalties coming down a little bit, but I think uh, the draft pick one is interesting just because they are taking it away from individual free agent compensation, which would free up like a Michael Conforto market or a Trevor story market and, mm-hmm. and get more teams involved and interested. So I think, you know, if, if the league says, well, we're going to have, you know, draft pick compensation for the three to five teams that go over the threshold, will the players care about that? I can see it being a ground that the players are willing to give. You do. Just because it's taken away from the individual free agency cases. But it doesn't, it prevents the teams that currently are willing to spend from spending more. Yeah, but I think under the previous structure, you know, like the Yankees will sign, you know, like let's say the Yankees and Carlos Correa, Freddie Freeman or something like that. Like they're going to lose a draft pick anyway for signing Freddie Freeman under the old system. So if they're going to go for him regardless, then that's basically the same thing. Sure. But if they sign Freddie Freeman, that's great. But now that you're paying all these tax dollars, are you going to start trading guys away like we saw with the Boston Red Sox and and their attempt to get below the luxury tax. They didn't pay it for a third straight season. They traded Mookie Betts away. Yeah. See, this is where from a players association perspective, we don't want to penalize the teams willing to spend because we still need them to continue spending because they're willing to spend and willing to pay us, the players, a lot of money to play baseball. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I can just see it being a net gain for the players if they need to give something while preserving, like, say, a graduated penalty structure to where it's not a hard cap uh, the way it is under, like, an immediate whammy and, uh, you know, having a, a number that's higher. Like, I can see it being something they'd be willing to give in order to uh, get a higher number and the lesser penalty for the first year of violation. All right, so that's my sticking point, and that's the number that I'm going to be paying attention to. So when the reports come out Saturday night or whenever on Saturday, maybe the morning of Sunday on Super Bowl Sunday, that's the number I'm going to be paying attention to on what is released is this competitive balance tax because I think that is the biggest sticking point right now between the league and the Players Association and the Players Association wanting that tax level, that threshold to be elevated so the teams that do spend money have a little bit more room to continue spending money because we all know Cleveland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, they're not going to spend any money. So you can just discount those teams out on being hopeful that they're going to spend some serious cash post lockout. So Jim, let me flip it over to you because we spoke a lot about mine and the competitive balance tax. What do you think is the biggest sticking point between the league and owners or the sticking point that you're going to be paying attention to when the details get released? I think it's going to be that early career compensation, the, you know, the, the league minimum, like you said, like there's a lot of room to find middle ground between 
MLB's offer and what the uh, what the union's asking for, um, especially like say if it's uh, you know, first year, second year, third year of the CBA, um, you know if there are raises, uh, uh, you know to maybe where that first year number isn't that impressive, but the second year number is, is uh, more so. But that the bonus pool being uh, you know ten million from the league and a hundred and I think it's a hundred and five million now. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a ninety-five million dollar difference between the two. Like that strikes me as like a pretty ridiculous gap, and one that like just might be a a matter of like fundamental differences in how they approach compensating overachievers from that pre-arbitration pool to where like middle ground will be harder to find. There's a lot of room for it, but just based on the initial offers, I don't know, like, you know, maybe they meet in the middle and say 50 million, but it would seem like the, you know, when you're, they're that far apart, that represents two different understandings of just exactly how it's supposed to work to where that just might not be so easy to reconcile as uh, finding the, the mean between the two. Hmm. The, that bonus pool, that's that the whole thing's messy. I mean, yeah. as you pointed out, huge difference, right? But the way that they want to calculate this, averaging out fan graphs and baseball wins above re, baseball reference wins above replacement, or maybe the baseball Towards savant voting. guys. Yeah, maybe the baseball savant guys create their own version of wins above replacement. Why not? We already have three versions of war. Let's let's add a fourth. Uh, let's make it a party. To me, it, it's just messy, right? Uh, we talk about wins above replacement often on this show. I like war, but if you're averaging out a result from fan graphs and baseball reference, I don't think that's smart math. And when you're trying to do this as the basis, right, uh, of who receives these uh, bonus payouts from the pool, mm-hmm. I, I just find it to be very messy. And you're like... $80 million difference right now on how much money is going to be in this pool. Like this is part of the players association proposal where it's the first time I disagree with the players and think you guys are asking for, you guys are asked, definitely asking for the moon. This is not a concrete way of paying out these bonuses and the amount of bonus money that you want is a lot. And just looking at the 2021 season, there's not a lot of first year or second year players that would qualify to get these types of bonuses. So what you do with all this bonus money that's supposed to be allocated for the supposedly next Chris Bryant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I just find the entire thing really messy. I think the owners are completely lowballing the players and what they want, but I don't think either side has a good idea on how to calculate these bonuses. Yeah, and that might be something to where, like, you know, not responding to the initial proposal for 43 days is like a way for the league to make it hard to come up with a completely new system for compensation. Like, I can see them trying to use the time pressure that, uh, you know, removing an entire month and a half of conversations. Like, that might be something they try to put on the chopping block. Or say, like, let's put it off to the next CBA just because we're running out of time and this is ridiculous. All the, yeah. It seems like something that requires a lot of thought, a lot of shooting holes in things, you know, on both sides. Like, whether you're, you know, asking for 105 million or 10 million or, you know, factoring uh, wins above replacements or awards voting or, you know, the arbitration system, the way that, you know, those dollar figures are, you know, figured out. Like, 
it would seem like there is just a lot of, you know, trial and error and workshopping that needs to be done. And maybe by losing that first month and a half of negotiation, that's something like where the league just said like, well, if we shave that off and then we just save our real negotiation till like the last minute, maybe that's a way to, you can say like the league is being, or the union's being ridiculous by asking for a new system when we only have like a week left. <laughs> that's a case where if you're, you're being a little bit cynical, that that's maybe a little bit of the, the strategy at play here. But it, it's tough to figure out just because, you know, as we know, working with wins above replacement and uh, as we know from like, I'm just thinking like the, the most striking one I remember is like Alexa Ramirez's rookie year and all the grand slams he hit and how funny he was and the defensive metrics hated him and wins above replacement didn't uh, score him well because of uh, the defense and also the lack of walks like the, the, the WOBA wasn't that impressive, but he was a lot of fun. Like he was just like, it was, uh, you know, you wouldn't trade his rookie season for a lot of them just based on the way, you know, the timing of it. And so like, you know, you can see that just being an example of like a case where like, if you looked at it purely at the numbers, uh, he'd be really unimpressive. But when you look at just the impact he made, like in, in the counting stats and, and how that reflected just how much of a revelation he was in his first year, like, yeah, it's, it's hard to quantify that. So I think, uh, having a little bit of time, only a little bit of time to try to hammer out like a, a codified system, um, you know, mostly numbers based, but also trying to incorporate that kind of feel, I think is going to be difficult and a very sticking point, you know, very sticky issue that can be gummed up in a lot of ways, maybe gummed up intentionally. Uh, if you're, uh, suspicious of certain parties' motives. And uh, that's why I think like, you know, the, the CBT to me, while maybe a sore spot for teams and maybe the league itself is easier to address than all these moving parts of the pre-arbitration compensation system that they're trying to devise. Well, we're going to know more after Saturday's conversation between the league in the Players Association, if you are one of those White Sox fans that have bought an opening day ticket and you've already purchased your airline as far as ticket to get to Chicago, you are hoping that conversations go great on Saturday. I think all baseball fans are hoping that the two sides can get closer to an agreement. I'm just more pessimistic that... I think that these negotiations are going to continue out past March 1st, and we're going to see a two-week delay in the regular season where Jim is being optimistic, Mm -hmm. and he thinks that opening day is still on track for March 31st as the Chicago White Sox would host the Minnesota Twins to kick off the 2022 season. We shall see, and I'm sure the next Sox Machine podcast, we're going to be talking about what was discussed as far as the Saturday meeting, and maybe we'll have some breaking news to cover as well. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Whether you are brand new to Sox Machine or a longtime lurker, Think about supporting us at patreon.com slash socks machine, where our socks machine Patreon supporters get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad free versions of the podcast and the website. They also get the first opportunity to purchase our socks machine swag. And on that topic, Jim, with the socks machine swag, we have the pre-sales that are going on for two particular items. Are those still open? 
Uh, depending on what time you're listening to this, I'm going to be closing the pre-order window for the Me and the Boys Babippin uh, shirt and the trucker hat, uh, North Face trucker hat, at noon on Friday in order to get the orders in before the weekend, uh, in order to just do, uh, you know, basically get that ball rolling. Um, so if you're listening to this like after noon central on, on Friday, then, uh, I'm going to be ordering a few extras of each. I don't want to get stuck with extra inventory, so there won't be too many extra, but just in case like somebody was out of town or just dealing with a lot or totally turned off by baseball business and missed the pre-order window. I will be ordering a, a few of each size and, and style. Um, however, um, the notes for when those are added to the store, they will be announced to the Patreon supporters first through the Patreon uh, you know, post uh, saying like, hey, supporters, um, you know, we now have a limited uh, amount of stock for the shirts and hats. If you missed out and you want to get one, get one. Uh, then 24 hours later, uh, I will be posting it to the public. So uh, if you are not going to participate in the pre-order for one reason or another, or if you're coming to it late, um, it's still worth signing up for Patreon just because when uh, the extra stock is in, uh, Patreon supporters will know about it first. So there you go. And you can sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine and with college baseball opening day next week which is exciting because we're going to get some type of baseball that we can watch at least through february and march at the very latest uh while things are being hashed out between the league and the players association weekly i will be doing draft recaps on particular players teams as well certain prospects that i find to be interesting throughout the college baseball season on the road to Omaha, and that is exclusive for Patreon supporters. So again, if you enjoy your work and you want more, go to patreon.com slash Socks Machine and sign up today. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.